Okay. I think we are rolling. Nice. Hello, Snark Notes Nation. <laughs> okay, so we're back. Uh, still remotely because, you know, social distancing is important. <laughs> <laughs> Someone did share something with me. It was like a Facebook or like Twitter post that was like, like I know this is a difficult time, but please, please do not use this as an opportunity to start your own podcast. And I was like, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> Way too late. Yeah. Um, today we're going to talk about the book Red, White, and Royal Blue. Yes, we are. Alice, do you want to like give a brief summary? Yeah, I'm very nervous, as Kelly knows, because every time we try to do, like, Alice gives a summary, it ends up being the most detailed fucking thing (laughs) you've ever heard, and, like, needlessly detailed. Um, So I think I'm going to go, like, the reverse end, hopefully, and try to keep it very high level. Um, So Red, White, and Royal Blue um, is by new, I think it's her first book, author Casey um, McQuiston? McQuiston? Sure, that's what Yeah, apologies if I'm butchering your name. Um, And it's a romance, um, but what makes it kind of great is that it's a uh, romance between two men. Um, It's a romance between kind of um, fictional first son, um, so like son of the president, um, Alex, and then... Yes. um, uh, What did you say? I said yes, (laughs) really yes <laughs> yes um so it's like the american first son and then like the british prince henry um and it's kind of like a nice little they hate each other at first and there's like a skirmish and then the, like someone gets pushed into a cake and then for pr reasons they have to pretend to be best friends and from that like an actual friendship starts to evolve and then eventually like a romance uh, a classic enemies to friends to lovers situation. Which is like a trope I do enjoy. Like if you were writing yeah. that tropes, it would be pretty high. Very low is <coughs> else, but like I, I hate you, but then I love you. I've seen much ado about nothing and Pride and Prejudice just a few too many times. I absolutely love that trope. <laughs> it's the best one. <laughs> Psychologically, probably not the best, but yes, in terms of enjoyment level, definitely the best. Even Rod and Hermione fall into it. It's great. <laughs> yes, so true. <laughs> yeah, so that's like the very high level. Alice is not giving too much detail for <laughs> how they do. I think it was great. I think you, yeah, definitely was not too much information. It was the right amount. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like sort of, maybe the only part to add on to that is like, you know, at sort of towards the end, once they kind of develop a friendship that's growing into something deeper, um, you know, like for Alex, who is, um, you know, the American uh, son of the president, like, sort of going through this whole thing where, like, you know, like, is he bisexual? Like, what does this mean? He's never, like, been with a guy before and, like, sort of all of those questions. And then, obviously, for Henry, like, being a member of the royal family, like, this relationship is not something that is, like, typically socially acceptable. So there's a lot of sort of that thing of, like, even if they like each other, like, will this work out, etc. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of the, 
like any great like romance rom-com like three quarters of the way through the book movie two-thirds like like a wrench thrown in right that's like oh no will they overcome this and like end up yes and the answer is like yes (laughs) obviously (laughs) but it's still like you know that like there's it can't all be like smooth sailing. Like no one's going to enjoy like reading that if there isn't like a little bit of like angst thrown in. Um, right. So as Kelly said, that's kind of like the dynamics that they have to overcome. Um, and then on top of everything else, there's kind of like political dynamics. Cause like Alex's mother um, is, his mother is the president. Uh, she won the 2016 election, which is a nice little, wish fulfillment thing um she's running for re-election um so like there yeah there there's also that on top of everything right yeah and like that's sort of on his end like will this at like will this help or hurt her yeah yeah and their emails get leaked at one point and so they're like literal lines with that are like but those emails like it's shout out to hill dog and that's like another thing that's kind of great about this book is like the author definitely is like a millennial author who's like seeped in kind of like uh, pop culture and um, not just pop culture, but like current events and isn't afraid to like bring those into this book in a way that like mm-hmm. really like kind of works. And especially for something that is a little bit more lighthearted, makes it like very enjoyable and kind of like funny. Yeah. Like you get a little bit of that wish fulfillment of like, if we lived in what I would argue would be a better world where Hillary Clinton was president. Yeah. Like, what would that be like to have the first female president? Um, yeah, and then, yeah, kind of pokes fun at, like, you know, like, the emails thing. Um, you know, and, like, uh, his mom goes through a lot of the same thing, like, that we see every time a woman runs for president. Um, you know, sort of some of those classic uh, patriarchal bullshit moments that you have to put up with. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> so, but everyone loves that. Um, it's my favorite thing. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I think, uh, like, one of the main reasons that we both enjoyed this book so much um, that we kind of wanted to talk about to kick things off was um, just the fact that it's, like, it's just, like, straight up a great romance novel. Like, it's nothing heavy. It's not It's not taking itself too seriously. Like we've mentioned, there's a lot of, like, pop culture references and a lot of jokes. Like, it definitely doesn't have a tone of, like, this is the greatest romance novel of all time, right? Like, it's what it is, but it's actually, like, pretty well written. The characters are pretty well developed. You, like, care about them at the end. Um, And, like, you know, it's not, like, the most serious or, like, heavy plot line, but it's, like, and maybe it's, like, a little predictable, but it's an enjoyable one. And it's definitely, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it, it delivers what you want from it, right? Like it's a, it's a piece of fiction that like it knows what it is. It's a fluffy romance novel, and it gives you all the things that you want from that, right? Absolutely, I think that's a very very well said. That's absolutely right. And what makes it, on top of everything, like that much better, uh, and something Kelly and I have talked a lot about, and we're going to dive into in greater detail, like throughout like this recording um, is the fact that it's so rare for like a queer romance to get to be kind of like cookie cutter and fluffy and have that happily ever after a moment. Oftentimes uh, when a queer romance is depicted at all, um, it's in a very like kind of tortured way 
Or um, unfortunately, a lot of times there will be like a death involved. You don't get to see a couple that, yeah, there are ups and downs, but they make it through and they get that happily ever after moment. Um, right. So even though it is like, it's broke back mountain, call me by your name. Exactly. It's all very sad and tragic and like nobody gets what they want and probably somebody dies. Yeah. So there's actually, uh, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant, sorry, but <laughs> there's actually another like pretty well documented um, pop culture uh, trope called barrier gaze, um, which is just basically the tendency for movies, books, um, TV shows to kill off a gay character often right after they've been able to enter into a romantic relationship. Uh, and I actually have like a fun literature fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. An Alice known fact? An Alice known fact, because I was doing research on this and I actually found like an academic paper. <laughs> um, just living my best life under quarantine. But um, <laughs> apparently, so I've been aware of Barrier Gaze more recently. Um, it's something that uh, really came into a head in 2016 because there were a number of character deaths on a lot of uh, TV shows. Um, and there ended up being a um, uh, like a movement to, to stop that and even like a petition. And it actually all came out of the show The 100, <laughs> which is a show I tried in vain to convince Kelly to watch. Um, and she wouldn't. <laughs> I'm probably right behind that. I'm sorry, you mean The 100? <laughs> yeah, The 100. What was it? I've been calling it like The 100 forever. And then like I found out it's actually called The 100. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's that's a tangent within a tangent. But no, um, so I thought that this was like a relatively recent trope, but it turns out it started in the late 1800s. Um, and it initially started as a way for queer authors to explore a queer romance with, um, without like being censored or punished for depicting a queer romance in order to get away with depicting like a romance between two men or two women. Um, what they had to do was they had to show that, like, if you entered into a relationship with someone of the same sex, you would be punished for it. So right. they would have, that was their way of kind of getting around that. Um, but then later, I think it evolved into a uh, pop culture kind of like using it to like, kind of like, if you didn't have the authors who were queer themselves, like it was like straight people being like, queer romances are bad, you know? And then it evolved into a place where unfortunately the AIDS crisis was like, so at a height that sometimes it was uh, queer creators using it as an opportunity to mourn things that had actually happened to them or close friends. And now that brings us to like our current chapter where it really is done just because like, just for ratings. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, I think in general, a lot of times, like, especially on American television, there's this, like, because in other shows that, um, you know, where there's a lot of depiction of, like, straight characters, um, like, think Gossip Girl, right? Like, everybody on Gossip Girl dated every other character because there's the idea that, like, we don't want to just watch two characters be happy and in a long-term relationship with each other, like, because that's not entertaining. Yes. So, like straight characters will just sort of like serial the old fashioned date and rotate, like, you know, like and date every other character, you know, like, and if that pairing doesn't make sense personality wise or character wise, 
um, or plot wise, like and they'll just throw it in there to like be the next thing that's exciting. Um, and rather, for whatever reason, rather than doing that with gay characters, it's often just like, what if we killed them? Like and now they don't. And I think anyone. we talk about the problem about not having enough uh, representation in the writers' room because if they actually right. had. LGBTQ writers in the writing room, like one, they could, they could like raise their hand and be like, um, why are we doing this? This has already been way too much. Or they could like find, you know, like there are so many more stories to tell, even beyond like the characters being LGBTQ, of course. Um, I think also what sometimes happens is it's like, they'll bring in like a love interest for one of the main characters. Like one of the main characters will be gay or bisexual. And then they'll bring in a love interest for that person. And then they'll be like, oh, we don't know what to do with the romance. So this special guest star, we're just going to like kill them. Like, yeah. part of uh, that's what happened with the hundred and what's crazy is like they literally did the same exact thing that Buffy the Vampire Slayer had done like 10 years before where it was like yeah. oh no the romantic interest gets killed by a stray bullet not meant for her where, and you're just like what <laughs> and it was like right after they got together and you were just like I've seen this before and you were you did it during sweeps and you were like promoting the shit out of it like what the fuck and it's especially problematic too because like there are people in the LGBT community who are looking to pop culture to see people that they identify with. And like, they're finally finding characters that that like resonate with them. And they're like, Oh, they're like me. And Oh, I can identify that. And what are they seeing? They're seeing them getting killed when we know that suicide rates are so much higher among teens who identify as uh, LGBTQ. Yeah. No, it's not great. <laughs> it's, that's my that's my TED talk. <laughs> Let's just admit that all of this is because you're still salty about the death of Sammy on Dance Academy. Exactly <laughs> that. I think it's it's two things. It's one, I'm salty about the death of Sammy on Dance Academy, which definitely qualifies. And two, it's me secretly getting you to talk about the hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you. I feel like you talked more than I did, but no. <laughs> but no, I was gonna say the only other like I think that we wanted to briefly mention. Um, uh, if anyone out there has watched Shit's Creek, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue sort of has the same like feel as the Patrick and David romance on Shit's Creek, um, which is something that. Um, Dan Levy, who is like the writer and show creator, said he intentionally wanted to create was like a storyline where two gay characters just got to like be a normal couple in love because that's not something that exists in pop culture a lot. Yeah. Um, so he really like went out of his way to like provide that opportunity to those two characters. Um, and that it's this book sort of has the same feel with the romance between Alex and Henry. Um, you know, it's very. Like this could be a run of a meal, run of the mill young adult novel, um, you know, about two straight characters like that we normally read, but um, you know, it's slightly different, but not really, right? Like it's like they're allowed to just like be a normal couple. So yeah, well, I think just Creek that relationship is so well done and. It really adds, like, I mean, it's already such a great show with a lot of heart, but, like, that relationship just adds, like, even more heart to the show. And it's just, like, so heartwarming and delightful. Um, Yeah. And a perfect example of, like, you can bring two characters together, um, regardless of their sexual, like, orientation, 
and you don't have to break them up or like have one of them yeah. die um, to like still tell compelling and funny and interesting stories. Right. Accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What else did we want? I can't remember what else we wanted to talk about. Oh, oh, I know. Okay. We all think that's kind of a segue into, um, our next point, which is like, um, like we're two straight girls. (laughs) That's a weird way to phrase it, but like, you might be thinking like, we're two straight girls. Like what? how do we find a novel about two gay men falling in love relatable or enjoyable or like why would that be something that like if you are also a straight lady like why would you want to read it um and I think the answer to like there's a lot of answers to that um I mean first of all like and foremost hopefully like you don't have to find everything directly relatable specifically to your own life to be enjoyable or worthwhile yeah um and it's like such a place of privilege to just expect the default to like represent your own like, experience. Like things can still be enjoyable just because they're not specifically about you. But like, I think also for me, one of the things that I find like enjoyable about this book or like other storylines like Shit's Creek, etc., is that like sometimes, um, in particular, like with um, you know. Uh, like a male male romantic relationship the men are allowed to be more vulnerable and allowed to have sort of more like classically feminine what society would deem feminine traits um that in sort of like heterosexual love stories um because a lot of time like in other romance novels um you know about a straight couple like there's these very gendered roles and stereotypes that you know they fall into and there's um you know sort of these cliches that happen like a lot of the conflict is around these like you know like just like kind of baseline boring ideas of like oh like well he's a man so he has to be you know like a commitment phobe and can't talk about his feelings and like can't do anything nice for you um and it's just like not to be like oh i like want to date a gay man but like like it's uh, the characters are actually characters that you can see yourself liking and like wanting to be with and it's like uh, the sort of relationship i guess like you know like that you would want to have or like the ideal relationship where they're able to be like vulnerable with each other and genuine with each other and there is some of that in like normal pop culture and whatever but like honestly sometimes not enough like a lot of times just like the very stereotypical like i'm a bro and i don't have any feelings kind of deal um and that, like that's just like no one wants that that's yeah <laughs> no i totally agree i think in part because this is i'm not going to say like uncharted territories because i know like there have been other queer romances but because it is less chartered um territory you're not in the same like in, sometimes when you're reading a like a romantic novel or if you're watching a rom-com like a sandra bullock movie is a perfect example it's like yeah. it's like insert sandra bullock type character here you know insert <laughs> hudson type character here um and there's still something like enjoyable about it but it's still it feels like a little emptier um and this like the characters just feel so fresh Obviously, like, a huge part of the romance is them grappling with, like, their sexuality and and how that fits into the broader community. 
but they're also just like very multi-dimensional, well fleshed out characters. Um, right. It's like, yeah. And I think, I think the author has put like a lot of like thought into all of it. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's well done. I think um, another thing you were talking about, like, it's always nice to see in any sort of representation, like um, men specifically be like allowed to be vulnerable because we have yeah. such expectations around like societally, like males will be like pressured not to be vulnerable or to like that, that would just like quote unquote, like weak or like feminine right. early. Um, I think another thing kind of on that note that I always appreciate in any sort of like LGBTQ romantic pairing um, is that often because of like the situation that we live in, unfortunately, like these characters will uh, have a little bit of like fear or like apprehension or anxiety about being vulnerable and entering into a relationship often, especially when it's like a coming out type situation. Um, And that's something that like deeply resonates with me, even as like a straight girl, because um, I do not do well, like letting it, letting other people in, in like a romantic capacity. I'm very good with friendships, but there's something about like, like romantic relationships that I'm always like, I have like that guard up where I'm like, it's difficult, you know? And I don't, yeah. I don't think it's unique to queer characters. Um, but it is often something that's depicted in those stories that one, I think makes you care about them because like, you just want to like shelter them and give them a hug and protect them and give them like everything good in the world. Um, but two is something that I can kind of relate to on a personal level. Yeah, for sure. I was trying, do we have one more point? <laughs> we can, yeah, I think I went off the rails with my rant. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, oh, I think like, w- to, not to like go on another rant, but I was saying when we were talking like offline, I think, I want to see more and more of this. I want to see more and more like different relationships. So it's not just like boy meets girl, you know? Um, right. I was saying like, especially like in a world where like Disney will not let Elsa be completely <laughs> queer. <laughs> like I was telling Kelly, it really pisses me off. Cause in the first movie, I don't think they realized that they were setting Elsa up to be like an LGBTQ uh, kind of like coded character and one that would be like kind of embraced by certain people within the community as like representation. But they, <laughs> because it's Disney and they never intentionally make anybody anything other than super heterosexual. Exactly. But like, that's the first movie. And after the first movie, like, come on, you knew this was a thing. Like how many think pieces have there been? Like the hashtag, yeah. like hashtag give Elsa a girlfriend has been trending for like so many you know, so many like different times. Like you knew this was a thing and Frozen 2 comes out and they just like, they did the like typical Disney thing of like, they didn't want to be like, oh no, she's straight. But also they like, didn't want to like actually admit that she was kind of like a queer coded character. And so instead they just like had all these scenes where like, she was like having heart to heart like moments with like this random girl <laughs> and like singing about like going into the unknown. And you're like, Disney, you're trying to have it both ways. And I'm very upset. You're just scared so hard. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you think? No, uh, I said they Taylor Swifted hard. Yes. No, that's like <laughs> a perfect, perfect way of putting it. And I'd love to get to a place where like young people can grow up with like representations, like of. Right. different romances so that like 
you know, they recognize that there isn't any like default form of love. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, um, you know, like novels like this that sort of like become viral and like the book that everyone has to read, um, you know, those are like stepping stones along the way, right? Like you have to have these sort of novels. Like it's going to take a lot for Disney to give in and just like make an openly gay character. I know. Right? Like it's going to take a lot of cultural feedback and a lot of cultural shift clearly for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Like these, you know, sorts of work, you know, like, I think it's easy to dismiss something like this and just be like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like a tragedy romance novel. And, um, you know, like, oh, it's going to be made into like a chick flick movie, like whatever. But at the end of the day, like, this is the kind of stuff that we need to, you know, yeah, get to a place where, um, you know, like these storylines and these characters are widely accepted by everybody in society. and. Wow. So we don't have like more bullshit. Like, what was it that happened with the Hallmark Channel this this winter? Where- uh, actually, yeah, they like made a statement that like they weren't gonna have any. Um, yeah, like there were gonna be no LGBTQ plus like storylines or characters. Like it was just all like because a lot of people were like, "Hey, every Hallmark puts out like one million fucking holiday movies every year, and all of them are boy meets girl." You know, <laughs> like sad straight girl who works too much gets holiday spirit saved by random bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and there's usually like a random child thrown in too <laughs> often although I think the ultimate like really terrible thing that I just learned is a thing recently is like a pair this is a definite tangent but there is like apparently a thing called pure flicks oh god which a knockoff of Netflix, but like with only like God centered, faith based, quote unquote, content. So, like, if you find that the offerings on Netflix are not appropriate for your faith based family, you can get pure flicks. Wow. That's, <laughs> like, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, girl did like no, a review but... of one of their films, and it's just like the absolute worst. Yeah. Um, but that's like a perfect example of like, okay, like there's a portion of society that has decided that there's certain pop culture that they want to consume. So they made a space for it. So like, why right. can't we make a space for people that want to see broader representation as well? You know? Right. Like, yeah. And uh, like not to get back on the frozen tirade, but like, I get that they would probably <laughs> lose money on a sequel, but like if they made Elsa like canonically um, in like a same sexual relationship. But the other thing is they've made like so much fucking money off of frozen, like more than they right. ever thought that they would. And they would still make a ton of money. And there would actually be a bunch of people that might even like go multiple times, you know, or like want to support or like yeah. up their merchandise that it's like, okay, can't you just take a risk? Like, if they make a third movie, I'm going to be, like, really pissed if they don't do it. Because at that point, like, one, the original audience will have grown up, like, a little bit. So it would be cool to have them, like, watch that progression. But, like, two, like, they're still making so much bank off of it. Even if they made her canonically queer, like, yeah, they'd take a hit probably, unfortunately, because our society is fucked up. But they'd still make a ton of money. Right. (laughs) Sorry. That's, that's my no, it's, hey, you know what? 
hey, we have LeFou from the fucking live action Beauty and the Beast, apparently. And apparently that's yeah, all. That, like, blink and you're on this moment at the end. Oh, my God. It's everything we ever thought we needed. <laughs> no, but I read that they're making, like, a spinoff that maybe is just going to be on Disney Plus. That's, like, about, like, LeFou and Gaston's relationship before the whole yeah. Beauty and the Beast. I saw that, but do you really think, like, he barely explored his sexuality at the very end of the movie? So is he going to explore it in the prequel? Do we really need to watch a whole, like, other movie of, like, Gaston being an extreme bro? No. And <laughs> like, if you like, characters in the Disney universe, I would want to know more about, like, <laughs> pretty much, like, he might not be the bottom of the list, but he's down there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, Good times. Um, yeah. But great. Also, as Kelly kind of alluded to, like, this was a little bit of a runaway hit in kind of a great way. Like, the author was not expecting, I don't even think her publishers were expecting it to be, like, uh, as big a hit as it was. But it ended up just, like, kind of taking bookstores by, by like, storm. I think it's helped by, like, it's like has like a great cover, very pink, <laughs> like yeah. very much like telegraphs is like this is bubblegum, but in a great way. Um, and I don't know, like it it does kind of. I feel like she did a great job of like pulling in not just like the romantic tropes we love, like oh they hate each other, then they love each other, um, but also like she brought in like that royal intrigue. She brought in like that president's like child intrigue like i watched chase and liberty i watched the other one with uh, katie holmes i watched um my date with the president's daughter like i this is stuff that i will definitely eat up <laughs> there was also uh, the thing a thing that we haven't talked about yet that i don't know how we got this far without mentioning is like there was also a certain nerd quality to the characters that i feel like you and i both really appreciated like I'm just remembering now that, like, when they start, like, emailing each other, don't they do, like, um, quotes, like, or in all of their emails, there's, like, quotes from letters by other important figures? Yeah, I know for a fact there are, like, some Hamilton ones brought in. Yeah, and, like, um, like, about how, like, uh, yeah, like, it's all, like, uh, like... Yeah, like historical ones and so but then it's like they're in a way they're also like their relationship would be like a point in history right because they're like historical figures yeah so, yeah exactly um yeah no so that was kind of great it also i don't know correct me if i'm wrong it felt like a very like slytherin slash ravenclaw and hufflepuff slash gryffindor relationship <laughs> Not not to bring this all back to dreary, the Draco Malfoy Harry Potter romance that no one wants or needs, but it is sort of kind of is like especially because like um um like the whole confrontation where like uh so as I, I mentioned at the very beginning like it starts because like there's a confrontation and uh, Prince Henry gets like pushed into a cake. And that, like, started, that started because, like, Alex has always hated Prince Henry. Like, kind of with, like, yeah. that irrational fascination of Draco Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, by the end, like, like, Henry is like, oh, I never actually, like, hated you or thought I was better than you. I just was, like, intimidated you by you because I liked you, which, like, feels, like, 
probably something like Draco Malfoy really wanted to be Harry Potter's friend and tried to shake his hand. And then once Harry Potter rejected him, he had to go in hard on the not. (laughs) There are definitely tons of beats of this that would show up in like dreary fan fiction. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, it's uh, and it's you know I think we have to give one like uh, uh, extra shout out to um, everyone's favorite like fan fiction novel based off of a novel about a girl that writes fan fiction um, which is Carry On because yeah. it's also very um, you know Carry On esque. Um, it definitely it definitely has that vibe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is also just basically like a dreary fan fiction company. Yeah, even more so. Like, it's like unapologetically a dreary, like a, yeah. a fan fiction. Has this really just all been about Harry Potter? I know. I know. Yeah. Well, it's that's the thing. Like, because there are so few LGBTQ relationships depicted out there, um, like, it is kind of it kind of makes sense that it would be like, okay, if it echoes anything, it's fan fiction because that sort of like, kind of like happy romance has probably been more regulated to that kind of like, I don't know what's the non-mainstream like channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So true. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I really, really got us off track with my like need to rant about no. Never. <laughs> um, but are there other things, other things we want to chat? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think that that's, I feel like we've hit all the highlights. Um, hopefully we've convinced you to read this book if you have not already. Um, I would say, like, as someone who consumes, like, a fair amount of, like, random romance novels, like, by comparison, I read a book, um, I think we read it for a book club, actually, that was called One Day in December, and it was the worst. It's, like, also a romance novel, but it's sort of, like, a classic, like, um, heterosexual romance novel. And, like, basically all that happened was, like, these two people saw each other one time and immediately fell in love, even though they only spotted each other on the train. And then, like, some intrigue ensues. And then, like, despite a complete lack of character development, they still love each other a really long time later. And like, yeah, no, I don't do well with that. It's like the worst. So I guess what I'm saying is that like, even if you're thinking like, nah, I'm not, they haven't convinced me. I'm not sure if this is for me. It's like way more delightful than like any of the other like run of the mill average romance novels that I've read recently. Yeah. So well done it's well written you should give it a chance no absolutely <laughs> and that's all there is to it nice. yeah and sometimes happily ever after is enough yes it most of the time that's all that's all <laughs> cool so yeah we will um be bringing more snark noting to you soon especially um since we're all you know so social distancing inside of our homes just what the world wanted from us specifically is so <laughs> more time of us talking. I'm very proud of us there because like, we went to Australia together for two weeks and we did not snark note once. So this is... <laughs> we are doing it. Doing it. Okay. Okay, cool. So thanks for listening. Follow us on social media where we don't post anything and do all the things. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.